David, you're here already. You've been in Canberra all weekend, and and you've even beat me here to the common room. I've rushed home from the airport just to talk to you, Rob. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm very pleased you did, because out of all the class episodes so far, this one, the metaphysical engine, or what Quill did, is, I think, the one I want to discuss the most. I, I, well, I won't preempt anything. I'll just say, I really, really want to talk about this episode. Well, let's talk about it then. I'm not going to stop here. <laughs> well, before we do, I actually have something to, to read. There's a Facebook group. It's not the ACE Facebook group, the Australian Class Enthusiast, but a, a Doctor Who group called The Book of Fab that uh, I became a member of not too long ago. It's mostly older fans, and they're quite um, laid back and chilled. It's actually a very nice Doctor Who community, which is very rare online because they often turn into just crap um and uh, chambers or yeah whatever yes yeah and this is actually one of the good ones and i threw up a, a post recently partly to plug our podcast and say look we're doing class episodes and such and also partly to say hey you're mostly older guys and literally older guys i don't i don't think there's many women on the group what do you think of class expecting maybe you know oh i don't like it or whatever and i've got a few quick answers here that i'll i'll read the first from Kenny Davidson, he says, I only watched the first two episodes, but intending to catch up with the remaining episodes as soon as I can. I listened to your podcast discussions for the first two of these, engaging commentary with some good highlights that hadn't occurred to me. So thank you, Kenny. I should add, given your initial query, I'm in my mid-40s and my kids are in their early 20s and therefore they're much more in the target audience. My son loves the series and is currently reading the books. Incidentally, he recently pointed out that Cole Hill has a history of head teachers being used to channel alien agendas. Remembrance of the Daleks got there first. Alan Boyd? That's true, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's Mr. Bronson. Good point from Alan, uh, from Kenny, I should say. Alan Boyd, meanwhile, says, One episode behind at the moment. Defo, not a must-see immediately, once available show, but enjoyable nonetheless. So he obviously doesn't want to see it as soon as it comes out, but mm, might catch up with it at some stage. P.S. The first episode excitement went down a notch once Capaldi appeared, as I thought it was fine up to that point without him. And I think that's something we've commented on before ourselves. It, it's something I've heard a lot of, actually, as I've heard more and more, more reviews, that... Capaldi was actually quite redundant in that scene and, if anything, tonally wrong. And I, I think that's quite a fair comment, as we said six weeks ago now. Yeah, yeah, gosh, six weeks already. Uh, another couple of comments. Richard Thomas says, Watching it, as there's no new Who this year, but honestly, they should have spent the money on episodes of Who, even if it was just specials this year. Miss Quill would have been great in Who, couldn't care less if it comes back for a second series, and I'm confused about who it's actually aimed at. Interesting comment. Okay. And Ian McCann, it's not awful, definitely gets better with each passing episode, but I'm certainly take it or leave it at this point, unfortunately. That being said, I do love me some Ms. Quill. Ms. Hmm. Quill seems to be a fan favourite amongst that demographic. It does, which is something that you've commented on before, that Ms. Quill is possibly the, uh, the entry point for older people. Yeah, I think so, and I've actually heard that from a few others as well, so... And that makes sense, and would seem to be a good segue into this week's episode. Yes, so let's rip into it. I do want to really get into this one. The metaphysical engine, or what Quill did, I'm going to go out there and say straight up, this was the most sci-fi episode of the lot, and possibly the most Doctor Who-like episode of the lot so far. Interesting. It's certainly the... If J&T was around, he would call this the oddball episode of the season. Mm-hmm. It's certainly the most sci-fi of the season. Some quite 
fascinating concepts. The most Doctor Who, though. Yeah. Mm, you have to sell me on that one. Yeah, look, I, I look at the concepts in it, uh, the fact that they're out in... Well, it's not out in the universe, it's out in the metaphysical realm. You know, uh, this concept that if something can be believed, you can go there, even if it doesn't really exist, using this device called the the uh, reliquary. Yep. I thought, my God, I I wish this concept had been in Doctor Who. Maybe it can still turn up in Doctor Who, obviously, because they're a shared universe. Because to me, and it's interesting you said JNT would call this the oddball episode, I completely agree. I think this is more like a virgin new adventure or even an eighth doctor adventure back in the days when the novels were doing really bonkers things and out there things. I, I can't point to one novel and say it's like that novel. That's not what I'm saying. But the vibe of the new adventures and the vibe of the EDAs even, I just... <clears throat> There's something about this concept that just grabs me in a way that other concepts in the show haven't grabbed me at all. I've enjoyed them, I've watched them, I've said that was quite good. This really got to me and I thought, this is fantastic. I, I love this. Am I am yeah. I too over the top? No, no, if that's the way you feel, then that's that's perfectly fair and reasonable. What you say about it being similar to some of those novels is very true. Uh, Love and War is one that comes to um, to mind very much as it being, being similar to that, which was a Paul Cornell novel relatively early in the Virgin New Adventures run. In terms of the reliquary turning up in Who, is it that different a concept to the dial device thing that the Doctor had in the last three episodes of the last season? Yeah, but I guess used for different reasons. Sure, I, sure. I, you know, I guess that's a timely thing for confessions, whereas this is like you can go anywhere as long as it's believed in. That's that's more... Okay, let me go out on an even thinner, smaller limb. That's even more mind-blowing to me than just time travel in general. And time travel's an amazing concept. Oh, no, absolutely. It's a, it's a, fascinating, it's a fascinating metaphysical concept. It, it's a very engaging episode in many ways. What's interesting, too, because we've already had some... Obviously, we're recording this episode a bit later than we normally would, so we've seen a lot more comment on social media. For example, Jim Cameron, who's one half of the Letter Lords here and uh, also part of the Crinoid podcast, has mentioned how the concept is almost too big for the show and it was sort of rushed a little. And that's a fair comment, but I guess with only eight episodes to play with, everything on class is rushed. Maybe with 12 episodes, it could have been stretched out and teased out a little more maybe that would have made it more palatable to Jim. But even in this episode, even where we rushed through, I think, three different make-believe scenarios using this metaphysical engine, I was I was wrapped with it. I really was. I'm actually going to disagree with Jim, which happens a lot on Twitter, particularly when we're talking politics, but we'll leave that aside. <laughs> yes, no politics. Politics-free zone. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I thought the concept was quite well contained in this episode, and it was just the right amount. And in fact, there are a couple of times when I was quite ready for them to move on, and had they lingered any further, that would have been negative for me. Okay. Uh, in in what sense? Uh, you, you just think the locations weren't too interesting that they're in, like the uh, the quill nest, for example, or how how do you mean? I, I think not not that they weren't interesting, but they were very clearly small set pieces, mm. and once they'd done what they needed to do with the set piece, it was time to move on, and I think that gave the episode a bit of momentum that it might not have had if they just explored one location and, and it also allowed the concept to be pr properly explained so rather than it just being a 
uh, MacGuffin that let them go to one place to have the adventure. Uh, something like, you know, in the Perwit era, there'll be a MacGuffin that lets the TARDIS go to Exurius or lets the TARDIS go to Metamedians 3 or whatever just so they can have that story and then it doesn't work ever again. The fact that they had several iterations of the concept allowed us to explore the concept more and see it as a proper metaphysical concept, not just a MacGuffin to get them to point A and back. Mm. Yeah, no, I can I can go along with that. In in that sense, yes, the the concept was well well shown. I guess perhaps to I don't know if this is Jim's actual thought, but maybe what he's thinking is he would have liked to have seen this device maybe introduced in an episode and then used in another episode and then something else happens in another episode and it it just gets stretched out that way whereas at present can we see this being used in the final episode i think they might have too much to do with the kids and all sorts of other stuff and this is going to now get put aside perhaps you know great concept now put aside maybe that's what he means yeah or maybe if there's a second season there might be some iteration of it there i i, I don't know uh you, you you're right though Perhaps in hindsight, it might have worked best if, say, two or three episodes ago, we had a scene where the principal was playing with this device and saying, okay, I've just worked out how this works, now I can put my plan into action or some better written version of that, laying the seeds. But that, that, I mean, that's, that's neither here nor there. Maybe that's just a reflection of what we're used to in, in the main series, but no, that's fine. You, you raise uh, a thought in my head, and I'll, I'll bring it up now. Dorothea Ames, when she pulls out this device, she's clearly not too sure how it, it really works. She's had a few training scenarios on it. She's never used it for real. In this whole episode, she seemed more, not bumbling, but certainly more unsure of herself and certainly not too in control. And I don't know whether... All along, she hasn't really been in control and she's been doing this facade, um, you know, pretending she's totally in control, or whether this was just written oddly or what. Maybe we'll know by the next episode when we see how she acts there. Did you get that sense that she was kind of different to past episodes, not not yeah. so in control? Yeah, not just different, but I actually thought she was one of the weaker aspects of the episode this week. There were a number of times when I thought her dialogue was quite stilted, and by about the sixth time that she'd given the percentage calculation about something, I, I was just a little bit over her. Mm. It, she just, I don't know, she didn't click this time. And certainly the the reciting calculations type stuff, that got tired very quick in my opinion. Yeah, I guess she had to be there, but um, she didn't have much to do, so they were giving her those sort of deadlines. And I know at the end, when they have to do the operation on Quill, they, they kind of get rid of her very quickly out of the room altogether. Yeah, she, she needed to be there to explain the plot but I, I guess she was only an exposition figure in this episode hmm a little different to to Ames in this episode though we have a character called Balan who we've never met before I was saying last episode oh there's some bloke with them having the adventure we, we learn he's a shapeshifter and he's trying to win his freedom by helping them out on this um, adventure. I found this guy really, really interesting. Very honourable, you know, great warrior, you know, certainly a match for Quill. A really great character. Let's talk about Balan for a minute. Yeah, he grew on me as the episode went on. In the first few scenes, I was a little bit unsure about him. I thought he improved a bit as it went on. It was really only in the final uh, set piece when they're inside the cabinet that I actually really started to gel with him. He did take a while to warm on me, but when he got there, he was quite good. But it was a slow burn for me. 
Yeah, yeah, that that is true, and I, I guess that's we're almost like Quill, getting used to this character across the adventure, uh, and then by the end we really see his humanity, his desire to. Uh, was it a daughter or a cousin or a niece or something back on Earth? Yeah. Yeah, and he really wants to see her again. And Ames gives them that absolute bastard of a decision that only one of them can return. That was tough. Uh, yes, but I did note that she has the line, in another life we could have been great friends. Now, do you reckon that's a direct lift from one of the most famous lines in Star Trek? In fact, in my absolute favourite episode of original Star Trek, The Balance of Terror, in another reality... I could have called you friend. Who says that to who? Uh, the Romulan captain says it to Kirk. Oh. And it's, it's a very famous line. It was actually quoted in the Futurama Star Trek episode as well. I think if it's that famous, then yes, it's probably there deliberately. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, my, my Star Trek is not as uh, up as yours, but uh, yeah, that certainly sounds on the money to me. Sure. While we're talking about references to other programs, or at mm-hmm. least it's slightly close to home... There were a lot of Doctor Who references this time. Oh, yeah? Tell me which ones you picked up on. Well, there was the reference to Unit right at the start. True. There was all the stuff about the Zygons earlier on as well. Another tick. So did you have any others? No, they were they were the two biggies. In fact, I thought um, Balan might have been a Zygon at first. I think, you know, that was obviously part of the plot. Now, I'm just looking through my notes. Like last week, they're a bit all over the place because I spent so much time just watching and enjoying the episode. Well, well, I, I wrote right at the start in big letters, this is a very strong and intriguing opening. And certainly from the very first line, from the very first scene, I was wondering what's going to happen next and how it's going to happen. And the episode kept surprising and twisting for me in that sense. For example, we were only 30 episodes not 30 episodes, we're only 30 minutes in, when the arm was removed from Miss Quill. Mm. And I thought, okay, hang on. They've actually taken this thing out. We've got another 14 minutes to go. So where are they going for the rest of the episode? So there were little, little tricks like that that kept me interested, even though I was occasionally, my mind was wandering. Yeah. What did you think of that scene? It was, it was quite gory. It was quite alien in some ways too. Yeah, no, it was very effectively done. And... Um, came out of nowhere. It wasn't what I, ex- I was expecting. I, I wasn't expecting the armed operation to occur at that point. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting it to be quite so graphic. I wasn't expecting it to be so quick either. So it was a surprising scene for me. Yeah, I, I guess it had to be quick from the point of view that it said if if it knows what you're going to do, it'll it'll try and kill you. So I guess they have to just get in and grab the damn thing and, and, and reef it out. Yeah, and, and were you disappointed is probably too strong a word, but were you surprised that it actually did come down to being as simple as reaching in and just grabbing the thing? Um, that is simple, but they had to go and find these items in order to, to make that possible, uh, like picking up the, the brain of another quill to, to sort of study how it works and, and that yeah. sort of thing. Speaking of, <laughs> this leads me off onto another tangent, do, do we think Ms. Quill, in the first episode... Ms. Quill and Charlie were sort of revealed to be aliens, at least in April's imagination, and yes. their human form is just a, a cover or, or a ruse or something, bear shapeshifters yes. as well. And we're not entirely sure if that's the case. Then we see this original Quill, and she looks like... Oh, she sort of looked like the original Nosferatu vampire. 
<laughs> to, to my mind, at least, you know, just the, the face and stuff uh, it was very vampiric to me. And I thought, oh, my God, do Quill actually look like this? And they are really hiding their identity or have the Quill and the, uh, the Rodians evolved over a long period of time? And uh, they don't look like this after you know many millions of years or something. Did you did you think that when you saw the, yeah, yeah. the goddess? I, I certainly thought that it wouldn't necessarily be an exact quill, but it might be a um, exaggerated version of a quill, given it's meant to be an ancient quill or a god quill or whatever it was. It, it, it must be you know and a similar, very very close in phenotype. Uh, sorry, but perhaps an exaggerated version, an ancient version, but still. Yeah, the, the answer is yes. Mm. We always like to talk Buffy. It's almost like the master from Buffy in some ways. Yeah, that's a really good. That's a really good um, analogy. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, even a little more grotesque if that's possible. I'm, I must say, I'm, I am intrigued by Quill society, like the way they have nests, the way they spoke about eating the mother. Again, that yeah. still makes me think of how they might be aliens. Well, they are aliens, but you know what I mean. They might be more something other than what we're seeing. I don't know if that's a big reveal still to come. Yeah, no, that was built in really well, and the backstory was built in really well. But in terms of a Miss Quill negative, did you feel, because I certainly did, that she was actually a little bit too human in some of this, like her barbs and her references to pop culture and everything? I just sort of thought that it was just a little bit not alien enough. How, how did you find some of that stuff? Like the references to kittens on the internet again. I mean, she's done it before, but I, I just thought... Is this really the retorts that an alien who's been on Earth for a couple of months would come up with? She let her guard down a lot, and possibly yeah. that was deliberate. I mean, obviously, she uh, allowed herself to have sex with uh, Balan as well, which uh, I guess is a lowering of some barriers. I know what you mean, though, about her acting more human. I actually, now that we're talking about Quill, I quite liked it. You were having some thoughts last episode. Can she carry off an episode? Can she do it? I thought, yes, and for the most part, I think she acted very well. There was only one moment where she did one of her shouty moments, you, you know, saying, come on, soldier, and it just it just didn't ring true for me at all. Yeah. Uh, but she had many shouty moments, and she pulled most of them off, so it's not that when she shouts, she can't act. It just was a particular shouty moment where I sort of went, mm, I didn't like that so much. On the whole, though, I was quite happy with her in this episode. I thought, yes, she has pulled off this episode. Yes, she is an interesting character. I like her the most in this episode. But yes, she was definitely acting differently. Maybe it's not such a bad thing. Maybe it's becoming a bit cliche, the way she acts around the kids. Uh, yeah, look, it, it, it didn't quite sit well for me, but it's not a big deal. It, I, just, I, I did notice it, though. It didn't take me out of it at the start. And that's, and that's fair enough. That, that's definitely fair enough. It is it is a very different episode in so many ways with, with the way she was acting, with the way I'm saying it's... I think it's a hugely sci-fi episode with the way they're out there in the uh, the metaphysical realm. Gosh, it's, it's very hard to even compare to other episodes, which is when we get to scoring, something I sort of struggled with as well. I, I feel this episode is a step to one side of class as we know it so far. And I, I guess we don't know it that well. We've only had six episodes before this one, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, at the end of the day, the show is called Class, which would tend to imply that it is about the school, the students, and all that goes with it. So to have something that is largely removed from the class environment completely 
does make it stand alone. And I confess, I missed the other characters. I, I thought that Quill did well with what she had. The, the actress was perfectly uh, strong in what it was. Yes, yeah, she had a couple of moments that were a little bit over the top, but that's okay. I did like, I did want to see a bit more of the other characters. I was a little bit, I, I don't think she did quite hold an entire plot herself. And that's not a reflection of the actress. It's a reflection of the character. That's interesting, I because I, I disagree. I was grinning about, I don't know, 10 minutes into it, thinking, this is great. The kids aren't in this, and we've got some adult actors acting like adults, and this is really fun. Um, I know that sounds terrible, given that I do like the characters. Charlie's great. April's my favourite, etc., etc. I feel rather guilty that I actually enjoyed them not being around. Yeah, and had this been a modern version of play for today and a nice standalone little play maybe i would have engaged with it a little bit more than sitting down thinking right time for the next episode of class and expecting the next episode of class and getting something that's very very not very very but but different enough from the last six episodes to feel a little bit uncomfortable it's it's like putting on a new pair of shoes or a different pair of shoes and going, yeah, they fit, but I've got to wear these in a little bit again now. Yeah, definitely know what you mean. This was the oddball episode, the one that really sticks out from the rest. I, I totally agree. Before we get off Quill, though, <laughs> we, can't, we can't finish talking about her without mentioning the final scene where we, we'd already got a, a snapshot of this scene in the previous episode where she came back and rescued Charlie and so on using her gun. But here we see her faint and she is clearly, visibly pregnant. Oh, I didn't pick that up. You didn't pick that up? Ah, yes. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Yes. Okay, I'm joining all those dots now. She's she's had sex with Balan. She uh, she touched one of the souls in the cabinet and aged a few months. And obviously it's 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 brought on the pregnancy, it's grown a hair a little longer. She's pregnant. I didn't pick that up. Thank you for pointing that out. No, that's quite okay. So I was I was going to ask a question about that, but now I can see you, you, you're, you're just starting to process that in your mind. What I was going to ask is, will this become a plot point in the final episode of the series? Or I guess a pregnancy has to come to term. Maybe it's something for the second series. Maybe, uh, gosh, I don't know how they're going to play it out, but they've, yeah, they've set that up. Let, let's, let's work this through. There are basically two options. Either she loses the pregnancy, in which case it's going to be a major plot point of the finale, or the pregnancy does come to term, in which case surely that's going to be a very important plot point for the next series. I mean, I mean, a, a pregnancy coming to term can't be just dismissed in one episode, surely, unless this is the Twilight Saga. <laughs> it's there for some reason and at at the very least it would mean there is another quill in the universe albeit half quill half law i guess lucky that the two species could mate like that yes how convenient <laughs> yeah um so and, yeah and this, is, this is after we need to mention the soft focus sex scene yes now <laughs> I thought we'd probably get on to that. We've had uh, rough and ready sex scenes. We've had the choreographed sex scenes. This definitely fell on the more choreographed, soft-focus side of things. Has has class lost its edge, David? 
in these seven episodes. Uh, I, look, I, you, I did think that this was a very odd moment. It was odd in the way the characters acted. I thought it was odd in the way that it was filmed. I didn't, yeah, the whole thing just didn't quite work for me. I, I, I couldn't believe that Quill would just drop a guard like that. I couldn't believe that suddenly the two of them were just going to go and do that. And and I'm sorry, but the the, the soft focus edges, no, no, that's not class. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, look, I know exactly what you're saying. I could buy it from two points of view. The one is two people who have just had a traumatic experience suddenly what are we going to do let's pash let's pash you know i think of i don't know the end of uh speed where keanu reeves and sandra bullock just look at each other and at the end of this experience what are we going to do we're going to pash yeah well the end of season three of buffy where willow and oz yes willow and oz make love for the first time because they think the world's going to end yeah Exactly. And, you know, as well as that, she did mention it was a cultural thing that, you know, I guess as a warrior society or whatever they are, after we have a big victory, after we do something great, we just have sex. It's fantastic. You know, so I could sort of buy it from that point of view. It it does jar, though, with the more standoffish Quill that we know, who's very cold and doesn't let anyone in. And she lets this complete stranger in. Sure. Can Can we then go to the other key scene for me in the episode? which is the final confrontation between Quill and Balan. Yes. Now, I thought it was very well done. I, I liked the way it happened. I really liked his line, if a soldier isn't fighting for the safety of his family, what's he fighting for at all? I thought that was a really good line. Mm-hmm. And he delivered it really well. Now, Rob, you've had time to process and think about this. I've literally Skyped you as the closing, closing credits were rolling. What happened in that last scene was it, that the gun was a trap? Was it that he set the gun up? Did she set the gun up? What What do you think happened? Or what do you know happened? I don't know what happened. I, my head sort of took it to be either that Ames had set it up as a trap yeah. or perhaps more likely that because they keep mentioning very specifically it's a it's a quill weapon you know yes. and every every quill should have their pistol and it's not just a laser pistol it is a quill weapon could it be that a quill weapon is somehow encoded to quill dna or something and if a non-quill tries to shoot it it kills them perhaps well we've seen this in the first episode when the quill gun backfires and kills the student right at the start you're quite right yes so the the, the problem here is is that this is an example of it's a little bit open-ended and we can wonder, and that doesn't matter. It's, it's wondering. But the problem here is that the possibilities have profound differences on the characters. So if it is Ames that set it up as a trap, then that is a big deal because it says a lot about the Ames character and just how far she's willing to go to manipulate the situation. And Quill is a, as much a victim of that as Balin is. Alternatively, if Quill knows that the gun's going to backfire and take him out and she stands there and lets it happen, then she has chosen to win in a very, not deceitful, but a very cunning and ruthless way, which undercuts brilliantly all that's gone before and shows her utter ruthlessness. But those are two very different ways to take that scenario and not knowing which one it is I think is actually a problem because it's fundamental to the character's as to which that was. Yeah, look, now that you mentioned that first episode, I'm more inclined to think that Quill weapons will backfire on non-Quill. 
that said, Ames, I think, does have it in her to be that ruthless. Yeah. Uh, but Quill, we, we keep being told, is this great warrior, terrorist even. I think she's got it in her as well. Although in the case of Balan, I think she's made love with him. She's not fallen for him, but she does like him. She respects him as a soldier. You know, they keep using the word soldier all the way through. Mm. I think she knows she has to kill him because she wants to get back to reality as much as he does. And maybe the way she's going to do that is to let the the weapon do it. Um, And she turns a a blind eye to... She doesn't stop him, in other words, from from doing it. Uh, Which is is ruthless in its own way. It's incredibly ruthless, but... There are, there are times when I'm very happy for the drama to be left open-ended. I, I think this one actually needed to be implicit because of the importance to the characters. No, oh, and that's fair enough. Fair enough. All right, I'm just looking down my notes. I haven't made many more notes on the characters or even the plot. Do you have anything that you wanted to bring up before we start thinking about uh, scores and next uh, week? Yeah, so the one important note that I had down here uh, was the actual device itself, particularly when they are using it and seeming to travel within it, it seemed to be very Time Lord-esque. So there was was a hexagon on the floor of the the machine, the way that just, just, I don't know, just the sort of the colour and the vibe and the tone and what it does. Did it feel Time Lordy to you or is that... Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that's why I'm like, oh, can we have this in Doctor Who? Because it would fit straight in so well. And, and, And in fact, I mean, let's face it, it was serving the plot or narrative purposes of the TARDIS in that it is the device that gets the characters to another world mm. for the purpose of the story. So it is actually doing the TARDIS's job. And bigger on the inside. <laughs> yeah, all of that. So I, I, I thought that was interesting. Um, we didn't really cover the Doctor Who references. Did you? We, we, we mentioned them and then went off on a tangent. Did you like them being in there or...? Yeah, I... I like them being in there, you know, and I have liked them in past episodes. You know, we've, we've referenced a, f- a few times, Tanya saying, I've hacked unit and so on. Yeah. But I'd like them to go somewhere, <laughs> you know, and again, maybe because we've only got eight episodes to play with, that's hard. And maybe if there's a second series, suddenly unit turns up. Great. And they've set the groundwork for it in the first series. But I, I do get frustrated when things get sort of mentioned like this, but there's no payoff. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought it was actually really gratuitous. Okay. Uh, you know, it was almost shoehorning a discussion in that I actually thought was, yeah, quite incongruous. Yeah, well, let's let's hope if there is a second series and, you know, we, we don't know anything about that. Uh, when Doc Hume and I recorded the latest uh, Doctor Who show earlier today, we are talking about that. We, we just don't know where this is at. Is it going to come back? Do we know? No. <laughs> no, don't know. Don't know. Hopefully it's all leading somewhere. Hopefully in series two we might even get a Zygon. Wouldn't that be great? You know, because I guess... I've said it's a shame Capaldi was in the episode it's a shame there are these Doctor Who references it could stand on its own but hey if they're going to be throwing them in and if they're going to remind people all the time that this is a Doctor Who spin-off let's maybe have some more Doctor Who in the second series and tie it in a bit more tightly maybe by having a Zygon episode or something um, you know I, I would just like to see that happen if if they're going to continue plugging that it's a Doctor Who spin-off I think it just needs a little more if they're going in that direction I, I could see that working, but I, I wouldn't mind either if it went off in its very own direction. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'd, I'd like that too. It's just that if they if they persist in saying it's a Doctor Who spin-off, then 
then make it one. <laughs> you know, if you go off in your own direction, drop all the Doctor Who references. You know, try and pick up your own audience. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. And that covers all my notes. Well, this just leaves the uh, the mark out of ten. I don't know whose turn it is this week, David. Do you know whose turn it is? I think it's mine. I think it could be. Do you want to go uh, first? Sure. Look, uh, um, okay. I struggled to score this episode because it is so different. And it's got some really fascinating concepts, some of which worked, some of which didn't. There were moments I was utterly engrossed. There were moments when I was starting to let my attention wander a little bit. So when I was doing my notes before I Skyped you in, my gut instinct was to go for a 7. In the course of our conversation, I've upgraded that to a 7.5 because I think that the interesting and the well done was better than I gave it credit for at the end. So... I'm going for a 7.5, which is in the middle of the run. Original, thoughtful, but not perfect. Okay. It's probably going to be no surprise that I'm a, a bit higher than that. I am going for a 9 out of 10 this time around. Wow. I'm I'm blown away by the metaphysical device, the reliquary. Um, I think this is like a Doctor Who episode in so many ways. Obviously, there are parts that wouldn't end up in Doctor Who, like the Arn coming out of her, her eye socket and so on. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you wouldn't see that in Doctor Who, but the imagination, the fact it was oddball, the fact it made me think warmly of things like New Adventures and EDAs and things like that, the fact the kids weren't in it, and that was a nice change, the fact that Ms. Quill got a bit more dare I say, human, and wasn't just, you know, uh, sassy one-liners. Yep. There was a lot for me to like in it. I know what you mean about maybe there were moments where you might want to look away or even get a bit bored. You know, no, nothing is perfect, but out of all the episodes so far, when I think of this versus the dragon tattoo, when I think of this versus even night visiting, for example, I think it's a cut above. It's different. It had all the sci-fi you could want. Uh, in it, in terms of concepts, I loved it. Nine out of ten, easy. Excellent. Oh, very good. Yeah, and that sets us up nicely for the finale. Yes, where we got a very brief look. It looks like the Shadowkin are back, and what's going to happen? No idea. No idea. Anything could happen with this series. Yeah, exactly right. What did you folks think out there at home? Write into us, uh, hello at the dwshow.net and tell us, or find us on Facebook or Twitter and uh, tell us there. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. If you're still watching, and I know some people have dropped off, gosh, what what an episode to drop off on. This episode was fantastic. Yeah, I think if, if you are somebody who has dropped off because you find the energy stuff is not for you, I would strongly recommend give this one a go. Mm-hmm. The closest to the teenage stuff was probably the sex scene. Yeah, that was... The more I think about it, the more I think that was terrible. That just was... <laughs> it, it, no. No, didn't, didn't like it at all. All right, then, folks. We'll give David seven days to get over his trauma from the sex scene, and we'll see you next time for class. See you then, David. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Well, there's the bell. The show's over. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show Presents Class the podcast where Rob and Dave from the Doctor Who show review the new BBC series Class week by week. If you like what you heard, why not tell a friend? 
why not visit our website at www.thedwshow.net or drop us a line. We're on Twitter at The DW Show, facebook.com forward slash The DW Show, and email hello at thedwshow.net. Of course, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or listen to the episodes through the website. The Doctor Who Show and all of the programs on our feed are by fans, for fans, and are also free. That means free of charge and also free of adverts. We'll see you next time.